All right. Yeah, you go. Hello. Hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Hardy Hunters. Uh, well, today we are, <clears throat> whoa, bit of a chopped throat there. Uh, today we're joined by Cav Templey from, uh, well, better known from uh, Eskimo Joe, but not doing his solo stuff at the moment. We had a good old chat. Yeah. We, uh, what do we speak about, Cav? What was your uh, memory of the chat that we just had? Uh, for some reason, just the line Teflon poo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we did talk about Teflon poos and uh, doing magic mushrooms with Ben Lee, mm. uh, being number one ticket holder for Freo Dockers. Temporarily. How, <laughs> how they started from Perth as a band and developed into a solo career. Mm, so sorry. enjoy and let's get hard. Let's get hard. Welcome to Hard Yarns Podcast. I am fucking fat. <laughs> <laughs> Anything Chris White says, please <laughs> disregard it. 5D is actually a state of being. It's a unity consciousness. That was Hard Yarns with me, Frankie Rose. So I'm going to throw it over to your co-hosts. Daniel Shelby and Cameron Brand. I would do this and then I'd gong. <laughs> Free in attendance for the millions listening at home. <laughs> Let's get hard. How do we pronounce your first name properly? Because I've got, I'm a high school teacher and I see like Caven, Cavian, Cavian. Cavian. Cavian, cool. Because for all I know, it could be pronounced Michael these days. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's, uh, I think it's it's an Indian name. So it's taken from uh, the the Kavi or Kavian. So I don't, I don't know. You'd have to ask someone who's actually Indian. Uh, <laughs> if, 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 if you're from Perth, West Australia, Perth, Western Australia, it's Kavian. Yeah. <laughs> um, perfect. You're uh, so uh, we're just getting straight into it. You're yeah. um, so are you not even in Perth at the moment? Are you over East or where are you? Uh, no, I'm just back and we just got back because uh, we've got one final show this weekend for our Eskimo Joe um, album tour that we've been doing. Cool. So we've been doing like playing two albums back to back and we've got uh, one final show at the Fremantle Arts Centre, but I'm back in my little studio in Fremantle, which is where I um, wrote and recorded all of the tracks from the solo record that I'm putting out next week. Yeah, cool. awesome. That's pretty uh, very exciting and we'll definitely uh, get to that because that's obviously the reason you're on today but yeah. um uh, we, we usually talk about the journey and how you get to where, where you are where you are yeah and, and we're all about that hard yarns journey hard yards with a bit of a laugh so you know we've started with eskimo joe my my first question is why was it called eskimo joe and in 2022 do you need to rename it inuit joe to be pc <laughs> <laughs> well it's a funny story uh, i don't know how funny it is really but um but yeah in in the midst of the whole black lives matter um scenario we started to see a bit of uh, talk pop up about you know the name eskimo oh. and you know growing up growing up in you know Fremantle, like i was thought eskimo was quite a um you know, like a, there was Eskimo kisses, you know, Eskimo yeah, pies. Yeah. So I, you know, it was kind of everywhere. I never thought thought too much about it, but I had got the name from a T-shirt um, from a, a diner in the States, which is still there, still called Eskimo Joe's Diner. Yeah. And um, and anyway, so it kind of popped up and I was, and I actually brought it up with the guys and I was like, if this is offensive in any way, if we've <laughs> been like, we probably need to change our name because we're just not those people. So we actually wrote a bunch of letters um, and sent them out to a whole lot of people in Canada, a whole lot of, um, uh, you know, professors who work in uh, Canada. And we said, this is our story. Yeah. 
Joe, as far as we know, um, people haven't found this offensive, but we need to know because we don't, we're not those people. Um, and we asked for them for their feedback. And so far we've got diddly squat back. So. Sweet. Cool. So just rolled with it and uh, so far so good. Yeah, yeah. cool. Well, did- I've got a new band called Wagalicious and so far that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get- if I was an Eskimo, then that would be a lot more PC, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess like the intent behind words and delivery is obviously always pretty important and you guys didn't have any malicious intent with the name and it's uh, and it's stuck now. So. <laughs> yeah, look, and it's a name I came up with when I was 18 years old yeah. and I'm not 18 anymore. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, I, I do think back, I was like, man, I probably could have come up having known that this would be my, my entire life's work based on this name. <laughs> probably put a bit more thought into it but i but that's the beauty of being 18 you're like yeah it sounds great let's be eskimo joe All right, yeah I'll yeah yeah, well, mate, when I was 18, I was asking my brothers with a few people, I think, so that's a different story. Yeah. We, um, we actually, uh, last year, we had uh, Kevin Mitchell on from uh, Jebediah, who I'm sure you sort of have done a few gigs with over the time, and um, he said he wasn't really prepared for, you know, the, the lifestyle of being a full-time musician and how much it breaks you down. Is that something that you've sort of... Happened, had, well, I saw you left yourself. school at 16 to do music full time, <laughs> so you must have had an inkling. Uh, yeah, look, uh, I think, you know, maybe it's easy for him to reflect on that now. I mean, I know Kev very well and, you know, he was, those guys and Jebs were doing it before Eskimo Joe got out there on the national stage. And so they were a big inspiration that you could be a band from Perth and do it. Mm. But it's, funny, it's a funny comment for Kev to make because that's all he's ever done. <laughs> what he was preparing himself for. But I think, um, uh, you know, he can probably reflect on that now that he's, you know, been a dad for a long time and just, you know, the, the Melbourne crew got, got the uh, lockdown situation pretty heavily. You know, they were, they were even if you lived in like slightly regional parts of um, Victoria, which Kev does, um, they were in lockdown for a long time. So he was homeschooling and doing all those things. And that was probably the moment where he was just, you know, actually started to reflect on these things because you start, your brain starts to shift into like home dad. Um, for a lot of us, it was, it was very weird going from only, you know, being in a band, like only knowing getting on a plane within a two week period at, at all times um, to just being at home for three years. Mm. Um, and I, the first year, I don't know when you talked to Kev, but the first year was actually amazing. Like just stopping <laughs> the time and, you know, and, and being a dad and just not having to kind of run away all the time. I think that was a very healing time, but as, as I got into year two and three, it was a bit like, okay, we need to go and make money. This We, we actually make money by playing music and this yeah. is getting really, so, um, so that's where it all got a bit tricky, but it, it is definitely a young mugs game getting out and being on the road, you know, like not having a fixed address, not having to think about, you know, feeding the cat or, you know, you know parenting children. Uh, I think it's pretty hard once you get to that stage. Yeah. Mm. So I really like the name of the first band that you were in before, uh, Eskimo Joe, Freud's Pillow. You'd be the, probably one of the only people who likes it. <laughs> I think it's a brilliant name because it's what, what Sigmund Freud's thinking about when he goes to bed, is that? Oh, yeah. Well, you have a Freudian slip. Yeah. And slip. We thought we were very clever at the time. I think yeah. it is clever. <laughs> for what, for 15 or 16 or 17-year-olds? Yeah, look, at the time, a lot of the music that was being made was very kind of, uh, you know, technical and there was it was a, one of those terrible moments in history where funk and metal came together. Oh, um, but uh, yeah, so we were in this band, myself and Joel, and we were kind of like, kind of sounded like 
tool or faith no more or somewhere in between those things and there was lots of slap bass and stuff in there and then uh i think you and i were probably the band that came along that heralded the change for our headspace Mm. you know they came along and started playing simpler songs with simpler chords and uh and just you know they weren't trying to be American or Australian. They were just making good music. Yeah. Um, so that really changed us. Uh, and uh, around about that time, I mean, I'd been, I wasn't really that interested in, in, in playing the music that we played in Freud's pillow. <laughs> <laughs> but so I started writing a bunch of songs on the side and that, that became the beginning of Eskimo Joe. Yeah. Nice. Freud's pillow. I guess the 2022 would be like Andrew Tate's condom or something. Be, <laughs> it would or like Jordan Peterson's mattress or, <laughs> Right. It's a different thinker now. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. I remember um, listening to you guys in high school. Now I was a, I was what they call I don't even know if it's PC a wigger. I was a, I was a white rapper. I would dress in FUBU. Um, I was a homie. My homie. mates were at the train stations, and then the other half of our school at Wanneroo was was uh, surfies. So it was the surfies versus the homies. We had like Yanship surfies, then like Wanneroo sort of homies. Um, and I really loved rap and Tupac, but Eskimo Joe was one of my guilty pleasures because I played <laughs> I played guitar and I didn't really tell too many people I was a fan. But I uh, I really liked Sarah and um, from the sea I, I learnt those sort of uh, little riffs. Um, and I want to ask the lyrics, Sarah, <laughs> won't you tell me your name? Haven't you already got her name? <laughs> Well, you know, funnily enough, that that and uh, why don't you understand the point of fingers are the two most commonly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so let, let me give you a, a little education. You'll probably still get to the end of this and be like, I still don't understand. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, basically, imagine, you know, you're going down to the pub, you're going to the Newport Hotel in Fremantle and uh, and there's a girl there and her name's Sarah and mm. you might be like into Sarah. Mm. Um, she knows your name. Well, you know her name, but you've never been introduced. Uh, and you're waiting for that moment where she might come up and talk to you and introduce herself. And so that's why you're like, Sarah, won't you tell me Love that. Uh, These days it's like you already know from Facebook and Instagram <laughs> and you don't want to look like a creep by going, Hey, I've seen you on Instagram, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, so you were a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> you were a secret stalker. Yeah, you know, and then none of that good old-fashioned stalking. Of <laughs> <laughs> well, just just out of high school, me – actually, me and Delby were in a, like a half a band in high school together. Um, and uh, just out of high school, uh, poor Delby got pushed oh, aside. And then yeah. me and the uh, two other guys, we, we actually started playing a fair bit of music. Uh, Swan Basement, The Rock, um, Rosemount, these sorts of places that I'm sure you've frequented. Is that sort of how you got started? Like just open mic nights, just band uh, – you know, Playing music that's not a cover, it's it's hard to get involved. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was always really bad at playing covers, so that was never an option for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, as, but, yeah, in our first band, myself and Joel, when we were doing Freud's Pillar, we played a lot of those gigs. We we seemed to kind of – it was a it was an era where there was, like, a lot of metal around, so we'd always get put on these big metal lineups. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then eventually, you know, when we, we started Eskimo Joe, we had we had entered the, the campus band competition, which was a big deal at the time. Like, you know, because the the university, um, the what what are they? UWA was it? Sorry, yeah, we were UW. We entered yeah. for UWA, but the um, you know, the, the had you basically had to pay a fee to belong to the club, the whatever the university club was. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That money the guild. Was, 
uh, the all, guild, yeah. yeah. So you had to be a guild member. Um, and all that money would get put into um, bands playing at the pub. And, you know, we did those gigs for years, which yeah. were great. But uh, but to get out of Perth, to get a plane ticket out of Perth was a really big deal in the mid-90s or whatever. So we had done the campus band competition with Freud's Pillow and came second. Uh and then, and Jebediah had won it the year before, uh, so that was a big success story. Yeah. So we kind of, we had this one song which was sweater, and we thought, you know what, it's a it's a bit of a novelty song. You know, what if we write three more songs like this? We could win the whole campus band competition. Mm. So we did it, and lo and behold, we won. So that and that was like our third or fourth gig by the time we won. I think our fourth gig was Livid, which because that was the prize you got to play Livid in in, in Brisbane. Yeah, oh, so you guys had your own algorithm before TikTok. <laughs> yeah, we invented that shit. <laughs> we um by the time we got back to Perth and started playing gigs, we were getting put on all these great lineups straight away because we you know we had you know a good resume you know we were the campus band competition winners and you get a real kind of like you know you're the you're the heroes for that year but then we had to earn our keep and part of it was you know we had also won um some recording time as part of the campus band competition and we recorded the sweater ep Mm. and we put it out and we were just so lucky because the um the dj the nighttime dj who was climate jane at the time um a lady called jane gazzo um she started playing sweater and it started getting requested and then we started getting asked to do um these big national support tours and that was unheard of time so um, we just hit the road and started touring and that was about 25 years ago (laughs) were you fresh out of high school was that like 17 18 19 ish yeah i was like 18 just just 19 i think when we started especially at that time getting the uh the funding to record your ep back then like i remember we were trying to do it ourselves and we had to do it in a church who was just helping us out you know like it was too expensive. Now you can go down the, you know, the local music shop, get the right equipment. It costs you know maybe a thousand dollars. You got a recording studio. I think that's a, a really interesting point. Like it's actually never been easier to record at home. But in saying that, it's never been h- harder to get the funds from making music to mm. make more. You know, like, you know, we live in this time. I mean, I love listening to podcasts and I, I love, you know, I, I have Spotify. It's a great service, but like artists make no money out of these things. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the days when you had to get your dad to drive you to the record shop to buy Led Zeppelin 4 just so you mm. could hear Stairway to Heaven, you know, like that just doesn't exist anymore. And as a consequence, um, you know, music and how we make money out of music is is a really, really uh, tricky shifting sand moment in time we haven't quite worked it out yet um but luckily we have these things like you know like everyone's getting to learn these really um great music uh, recording programs like pro tools and yeah. you know logic and uh you know cubase to name a few um and you can buy these interfaces so you can do a pretty good good job but it still comes down to like if you want to press play on a record and mm. it sound as good as you know your favorite albums that you know you hear and have grown up with, there is still a massive skill set to that. Mm. Um, and you can kind of fluke it, you know, you can put some drum machines down, you can put a vocal down, but to have a sustained album and career based around good sounding recordings, it's, it's still a complex and expensive, you know, exercise. I mean, the solo album I just did, I pretty much did 90% of it myself, still really wow. expensive to do. And I'm just a lifer. I'll keep doing it whether anyone buys my records or not. Yeah, that sounds similar to uh, El Hornet we have on from Pendulum. He's like, loves just doing it on his own. He started Twitch. Have you looked into doing anything on on your own on Twitch? And 
I only laugh because my, my wife's is in the next room there and we, we were doing a podcast series just before um, the whole world shut down called Hat Jam. Yeah. Um, where we went, went to Kevin Mitchell's place, went to Josh Pike, a bunch of different people and we played this game called Hat Jam where we would like pull a name out of a hat and write a song in real time on this podcast. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's awesome. And it was cool. We, we wrote all these really great songs uh, um, and anyway, the – you know, the pandemic kicked in, we couldn't travel anymore. So just as the, everything was starting to kind of lighten up me and uh, my wife, Beth, who is known as studio cat. in, in the podcast, <laughs> nice. We decided we'd go, well, like, fuck it. It's time to get into twitching. We're yeah. going to be Twitch artists. <laughs> and the internet in my studio is not great. So we did one, one, if you go into Twitch, you can probably find it. There's one tragic broadcast of me and, me and studio cat trying to do this thing. And like, we keep looking at each other and it's glitching out. We're like, what's, going on <laughs> had these like you know grand schemes of like yeah we're gonna be like twitch millionaires like yeah. people are gonna be money at us it's gonna be amazing um but yeah we have we did one and we haven't been back so twitchy and scratchy <laughs> cancelled but it's amazing like the in, well, i guess technology and how much has been used over this pandemic like you're in Fremantle, we're in osborne park and we're still doing a zoom <laughs> <laughs> Distance between us, yeah. yeah, yeah. So obviously, like, I know you're busy, but um, uh, the the yeah, that sort of thing has opened up a market for a lot of people to to do it during the pandemic. Yeah, it has, um, and it's also uh, opened up a market for people to upskill. You know, like a lot of every you know, ask every, the best question to ask people is, "What did you learn during the pandemic?" Yeah. And everyone had to do one thing generally around technology, where they had to learn to do something new, and then find out, lo and behold it actually wasn't that hard and they, and, and they could do it, you know, and that, that's pretty magical, I think. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I had to learn how to teach my kids. You, uh, my, my kid and my, uh, my nephews, Delby's uh, former teacher just handed in his, his resignation actually. Yeah. I actually make up songs on the spot. I'm a freestyle rapper and I got paid for it, um, <laughs> which uh, I'm resonating with your making songs up. We do that. I'll send you a link after. You can have a look at our Mark McGowan song that we freestyled. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. When Corey White was playing the guitar in studio. Yeah. We made up the words. Uh, we just did a um, did Oktoberfest, and that was the biggest rush of all time. Um, but I wanted to ask you before we move on um, into uh, your solo stuff. Uh, we always ask anybody that um, made it. So it sounds like your big break was getting that funding to go and support all the acts. Would you say that was probably your big break? guess that was a break i mean it's always that thing where you you know you get a little win and then you kind of you think you're at the top of the mountain and then you look out and there's a giant mountain range in front of you oh yes mountain and and on it goes and that that doesn't seem to ever stop and but you have little wins along the way um you know if you are again a tragic lifer you just have to you just keep doing it and just at that moment where you think you're not getting anywhere suddenly you have a little win again and you break through to another place nice that's a great analogy i felt like that I went to Edinburgh Fringe to do some stand-up and I was not at the bottom of the mountain I reckon I started in the Mariana Trench (laughs) complete ego death but um have you ever heard we always do this one have you ever heard any fake news or fake stories about um yourself or the band throughout the the ages Mm. um that's ever been thrown around where you've been like oh I can't I didn't know that we were getting paid a million dollars to support this or all. I didn't know that this person <laughs> did that. There's um, there's a, a, a kind of like a, a wiki website, but um, I don't know. I can't even remember what it's called. I wish I could bring it up. Mm. Um, but it's, you know, they, they have profiles on, on all different artists. And one of the things that, you know, you type in is it tells you your net worth. <laughs> Apparently I'm worth like $23 million. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and uh but the other thing is like it's clearly like english is a second language website because it's just mixed mis- mixed up about maybe three or four different people into my profile so and and my kids just laugh so much because they it said that i was five three and for some reason they just thought that was hilarious was nearly six foot and then uh yeah and that my children were named uh, actually named something like like Hugo and Alistair and then like, and I've got like a, a sneaker brand called Yeezy. <laughs> it's just like take all these little things from all these places. But one of my favorite like moments in the whole kind of weird, you know, world famous in Perth thing is that you, um, you know, you look on, if you type in your name and then you'll have like things like spotted at, at you know, um, I don't know. At at trig. <laughs> Yellow. Long, like, you know, and like, so there's people hiding in the bushes taking pictures of <laughs> and being like spotted. So that, that actually exists. And I find that the most bizarre part of the whole experience. Yeah, right. The, um, the, the, oh, I don't know why you haven't addressed this one, but I'm sure the, this is fake news. You can't be the number one ticket holder for, for Freeman. Free in 2010? <laughs> Are you still number one ticket holder or is that 2010? In my heart. Um, but no, uh, we... Uh, we were the number one ticket holders for a couple of years over like, I think from 2010 to 2013, yeah. uh, which is a great honour, of course. Um, which was their year. They, they were fairly successful. They around played then? in the grand final, what, yeah, 2014? Made it, or mm, made it to the grand final, I think, just as on our final year as ticket holder. Oh, and, did you just get a gig gave, at halftime? I can't they remember. Gave, they gave the number one ticket to to uh, Ben Robert Smith, which I don't think they talk about. Apparently they cut the bottom leg off that number one and uh, who knows what happened next. But the the um, the person before you was Nick O'Hearn. So, I mean, it, it's in, it was in good hands. Did you get any uh, gigs from it like when they made the grand final? Did they invite you to do... Oh yes, yeah. Uh, we got we got invited to play the wrap up dinner after they lost. <laughs> uh, it was pretty much like playing your grandma's funeral, oh. um, you know. And we like anyway. They invite all the players on like one by one, and I think Ballantyne had had a shocker, like you know, just missed some really key goals. So he was the first one, and he he walks on on stage. He just like, stand there while and then while everyone walks up. Anyway, like most of the players were pretty relieved to be on the other side of it because it's a huge amount of pressure yeah. but like as soon as they had brought everyone on stage and then they were like no it's Eskimo Joe <laughs> and they were like are you guys ready to laugh <laughs> terrible moments oh, enjoy um, your and black fingernails and red wine <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've got uh, you guys actually was it last year when it was in Perth played the the grand yeah. final yeah that was huge we actually just got our they give all the artists who play the grand final a Sharon football with um, oh, the name of your band on it uh-huh. um, just receive that and I'm like you know I'm such a hack like I'd, I, I I don't follow sports at all uh, <laughs> and everyone asks me about football like because I was the number one ticket holder and had such an affiliation with the club like yeah. oh so what do you think about this stat and this stat to do with this year <laughs> and I have to like segue to something else every time yeah. but this is the first time I've been like I am going to actually blow that Sharon up I'm going to get one of those you know Sharon glass boxes Sick. I'm going to football in it it's going to go straight to the pool room it's going to be great yeah and that's historic because of melbourne's breakthrough and being in perth so that's that's unreal historic for being the best grand final entertainment they've had as well. <laughs> yes yeah 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 of course <laughs> yeah certainly. And, and um something you said earlier which i really like is that how you said you wanted to move away from sounding american and more australian i, I love that because there's nothing i hate more than rappers that are aussie that rap with an american accent 
I really liked, uh, I think it's Kiss Chasey where they, they sing like how they mm. talk. So, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, you dying over there, Brett? Yeah, good. All good. I mean, I, Tickle I throat. A, there's a fi- it's a fine line that one because you know you can, you know, to quote the commitments, sing in the international language as yeah. well, where it just sounds musical. I mean, hip hop's very parochial. You know, you'd it it feels ridiculous to to rap in an American accent if you're from you know Perth, Western Australia. Yeah. But you know, you you look at there's uh, one of my friends is in he's got a a act now called Il Combo. They're super cool. Um, his name's Alex. Anyway, he, they used to have this really cool um, hip hop act called Good Buddha. And um, he, the way that he rapped, um, and he's also a great singer, was awesome. Like, he didn't sound American. He mm. didn't sound Australian. He just sounded like just a great voice. So yeah, I think nice. there's always room for that as well. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, growing up, like, you, you started your career in a band. So now we can move on to all your cool stuff that you're doing individually. Um, did you always want to be a solo singer? Did you always want to do it in a band? Did it fall that way because, you know, you needed other guys to um, to make music with? Because you're the vocals on the bass. Slapping the bass. Slapping the bass, man. <laughs> or like, yeah, what was your... I, I actually, when I... For, I used to be a really technical bass player when I first started and I was like the slap king of my high school. And oh, yeah. Yes. Really a slapper in a good way. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I would go to high school parties and I would just sit in the corner with my bass and an amp playing slap bass. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, bit bit daggy. Yeah. Not a great way to pick up girls, but um, <laughs> you know, I started to get into singing and, and songwriting, which is a way better way to pick up girls. Yeah. Um, but um, no, I think for me, I was always uh, really inspired. I was really into storytelling always. That was my kind of number one thing. Um, when I was really young, I used to tell these ridiculous lies. Like they were just, <laughs> they were not even like believable at all, but they would be these long winded stories that I would like claim had happened to me. And you could see that. <laughs> so and Google was the worst thing to happen to you on phones. Cause people were like, that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, they indulged me for a while, but then uh, when I was about 13, 14, I managed to kind of, I found that I could articulate, what I was saying through songs so much better. Like mm. I would, I could talk and talk and talk, but somehow, you know, that combination of the sound of your voice, creating an emotion and putting that into words, just, it just resonated with me. And I just, I found this real place, you know, and, and I started to put those storylines into that. And that was kind of what interested me the most is the writing part of it. And then, you know, you always have ambitions. Every time you write a song, you're imagining playing the chorus in front of thousands Ooh, of people. Yeah. yeah. I still get yeah. that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's such a social thing as well. So as I kind of started to play music, you find friends who make music. And and then I was really lucky to end up in this, you know, after, I, you know, I got the gig just being the singer in Freud's Pillow, but I wasn't really into the music as I, as I said before. Yeah. So I started to write my, you know, little emotive acoustic songs on the side. And that initially became Eskimo Joe. But then somewhere again, like we kind of became this novelty act, you know, with the song Sweater because it, it, cause it worked and it was a good pop song. Um, but then we were sitting down writing the first record, writing a song about teddy bears or something. And, um, and Joel came in to his credit and was just like, this is shit. <laughs> and cause I, again, I just started to write these songs for me. I was like, oh, well, this isn't the music I want to play. Mm. Um, and Joel was like, these songs that you're writing need to be Eskimo Joe songs. We need to get rid of this novelty crap and be a real band. And so I was like, okay, cool. And so that became, that was girl, our first album. So from then on, uh, it was 
pretty much that's what it was about. I would I would go into a room, I would write a song to the best of my abilities on an acoustic guitar, then I'd pre- present it to the band, and then we'd workshop it and turn it into what would become an Eskimo Joe song. You were like, uh, Australia's Got Talent, and they were the three judges, <laughs> like original version. Rubbish. Um, <laughs> So, and that's pretty much how it went up until around about the album Inshallah. And that was where everybody else started to kind of come in with more ideas. And I would never be someone to say, no, I'm the songwriter. That's not how it works. But from those last couple of Eskies records onwards, it was more about us really sitting in a a room together and building up the idea from scratch. Um, Because everyone had really needed to feel like they were being validated artistically as well. And again, I wouldn't say no to that. But then somewhere in that process, it started to happen again. I started to go, well, I'm just going to write these songs for me over here Um, and then that eventually grew into what became my first solo album and then I started writing the album I'm just about to put out and uh, I thought maybe it could have been an Eskimo Joe record I I just didn't know I was just doing what I always do which is just write a song on the acoustic guitar to the best of my abilities Um, but it turned out that it was another solo record and that's totally okay with me and I feel like I'm now finally at that place where you know the songs that I write are going to come out as solo songs because everyone in Eskies is kind of off doing different things. We might do one song together yeah. every once in a while, but um, if I want to make full length, you know, albums with a vision and a, a storyline, then it's going to come down to me in a room, probably this one that you see behind us yeah. doing that. And so it, it's okay. Like it feels like it's, I've gone on this journey and, and this is where I've ended up. Is there any bitterness or resentment from the other lads? Like, Oh, you don't care about us. You're, you're doing your own thing or is it all love? Um, it's, it's all love now. I think the only time that those guys got a little bit funny is I did a, a side project with Kev Mitchell and Josh Pike and another friend called Steve Park. And, and it was like a kind of Crosby, Sills, Nash and Young thing. And we, where we're doing harmonies and it was all acoustic guitars. And we, we wrote, recorded the whole thing in my back shed and then toured it. And the whole project was like eight months long. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I, that was the first time I did anything outside of the band dynamics. And, and that was actually the moment where it shifted to where everyone was like, well, I want to write songs in Eskimo Joe too. So yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Josh Pike like was on repeat on my CD player when I used to work for a while. So that I guess there's um, some similarities with the genres and stuff, but it's another creative outlet for you. But I do remember Kev actually saying, <clears throat> Most decisions happen like they all do with Jebediah. He makes a decision and they agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Those guys have been doing it since they were really young, so I'm sure they have a a dynamic that just works for them. It's like a marriage. you got a little side hoe on the side and (laughs) getting jealous. Marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So how did you find that dynamic as well with with all your bandmates? Um, Because it is – I find if I do my solo comedy, for example, I'm trying to relate uh, to what you'd be going. So if I do my solo show, I have to put in time with my next big thing, which is Who's Rhyme, um, which is with Mac Shane, and I've, I've put loads into that. Um, sometimes if I get asked to book a gig, it comes with like, do I, do I do this as a solo gig or do I bring my team with me, which would be like Mac Shane or do confessional or bring some lads in? Um, how do you find that... Um, process in your head and how do you decide what's for you and what's for the band sort of thing Mm. uh yeah it's a a really good question i mean it shifts and changes all the time depending on what cycle we're in like for instance um it just happened that the solo album that i'm doing at the moment um ended up uh coinciding with us doing this big black fingernails red wine a song as a city tour and that was completely by 
the fact that, uh, you know, COVID had happened and we were meant to do the, the tour about two years ago, yeah. but it kept getting pushed back and then it just happened to all happen at the same time. So I had to have a conversation with everyone, you know, over Zoom and go, hey, how do we make this work for everyone? Um, and we worked out, you know, that I could put a little gap, I could put my record out there and then I could do a little regional tour there and then we could wait to this point and I would do a solo tour there. So um, it becomes a bit more of a horses for courses thing, you know, yeah. like I'll, often I'll go out and I'll do things like there'll be some super cool Beatles tribute you know, album tour. Yeah. And that's something, of course, I'm going to do as a solo guy because, you know, I'm the singer and that's how it works. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if there's like a random one-off orchestra gig, um, you know, often they'll want an Eskimo Joe because it's the greatest hits set and yeah. that'll work for that. Um, but then if I'm doing some, you know, I don't know, like a, my own kind of as a, as a, they want me as a singer, then I'm going to be a, come in as a solo guy because yeah. that's they don't need the rest of the band and that's just how it is. Yeah, because yeah. I always feel kind of bad like when I do something for myself if I've got other people involved, but it's also like the only pressures I'm putting on myself going, oh, this is – and most of the time I say to the boys, like, oh, I've got this, and they're like, no, nah, sit, go do it. Mm. So it's more like a, coming from a positive place, but sort of feeling. No, I secretly resent him. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, what was uh, your new like sort of influences for the fur, for the album that you brought out? And how was your first solo experience? Because that'd be pretty scary for your fans. Do they like you or do they like your band or do they like the sound? You know, what was the first one like and what's, what's changed? Well, uh, this, well, this is my second solo record I'm putting out at yeah. the moment. Yeah. And the first one uh, was really this kind of like, who am I outside of being the guy in Eskimo Joe, you yeah. know, as an artist? Like, mm -hmm. I always know what it feels like to be in a room by myself playing a guitar. But, you know, to, to turn that into a complete picture of an album, there's a lot of work that goes into that. You know, you've got to write all the parts from the piano to the drums. And then what, what do you want the drums to sound like? Mm -hmm. How does that, you know, reflect the sound of the record? There's like all of these, these thoughts that you go into, you know, you have to analyze all this stuff to make, you know, a, a well thought out record. So a lot of the first album was that, you know, I didn't, I was just writing, doing what I normally do, writing the best songs I could write, but then I needed to kind of analyze who, what I want. I knew that once I, I set the scene, that was going to be who I was as a solo record yeah. artist. So I did that and, and I was really proud of that album. And then this time around by necessity, like I started writing it at the beginning of the pandemic. I literally like we arrived back from Australia. We, we did one of the last episodes for our podcast where I laugh because it was a vaguely traumatic experience uh, with Ben Lee <laughs> uh, where he made me take magic mushrooms live on while doing the We haven't the done that yet. While I was, I was engineering, hosting and writing a song in Laurel County. All right, we're not going to skip over this. I'm going to come back to yeah, that. Yes, 100%. That, yeah. <laughs> I, anyway, so uh, we came back and literally a day later, the whole entire world shut down and we were in, and we were in lockdown. And at the same time, I came down with a mystery virus and we didn't know what it was. There was no way to test whether it was COVID or not. <sighs> Um, and so I had to isolate in my bedroom and my, my lovely wife slept in the library on the floor, uh, but there was a piano in the bedroom. And so as I started to feel a bit better, I started to kind of play piano and, and, and begin to kind of document what was going on for me. And so began this journey of like, you know, writing this record in isolation about this kind of, you know, I guess it's like a post-apocalyptic true story. Yeah. Um, but uh, then I had 
started started recording it for real and there was i couldn't fly to melbourne and you know record with this person over here or go into that studio and record drums because we weren't even allowed more than two people in a room mm. so uh so i just started doing it all myself here in this studio and and i just kept going the whole time and it, it was a, probably a longer process than i would normally go through but to answer your question um there was less time for self-analysis there was less right. time to go what kind of record am I making? You know, what do I want it to be this or that? I just had to go, you know, I would press record for where you can see me and then I'd run through to the other room and play piano. <laughs> and then I'd listen back and be like, yep, that sounds good. Brilliant. Let's move on from there. Yeah. Um, and if it sounded bad, I'd re-record it again, but I didn't go, mm, does that need to be like a felty piano sound? Yeah, or, yeah. It sound like 70s or 80s. I was just like, fuck it. That sounds good. Brilliant. Moving on. Nice. And what came out of it was uh, a much more organic sounding album, much more similar to the work that I did on the album A Song as a City. Um, it's kind of got a bit more of a gentler feel to it. Um, but I was also lucky enough to have a bunch of people once the world started to open up a little bit. I had some really cool collaborators like John Butler and Katie Steele it's come awesome. in and help do some songwriting with us, which was wicked. So yep. have you got like instead of from the sea, from the borders? Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, from the sea to the borders. No. <laughs> yeah. We can workshop that later. Um, my question with when you were saying like I wanted the drums to sound this way, did you do all the drums and every part of the instrument? Or no, the, drum, the drums was one of the only things I didn't do. Wow, so um, everything else. But what I would do is I'd, I'd like, so this is getting a bit nerdy, I'm sorry. But the, right. on the last record, um, I was really into the, because, you know, in Eskimo Joe, Joel has always played the drums. It's a certain kind of sound when he hits the drums. Sounds wicked. It's very Eskimo Joe. But I love the sound of like early 70s, you know, like super dead kind of uh, drum sounds. And yeah. so I wanted to get that sound. And I spent a lot of time with this uh, lovely chap called Pip Norman, um, basically trying to get that exact sound. And then at the end of that, we got samples of all the, like once I'd recorded it all, I got him to do a snare sample, a kick sample. And then I loaded that up on a drum machine and so as I was writing the record, I was, I was kind of programming in the drums with these really cool 70s sounds that I put together. And so by the time uh, I'd kind of written a lot and recorded a lot, I, I did the drums a little bit later and I went into a studio that we used to own um, in O'Connor, just out of Fremantle. Yeah. Um, we had a studio that we built with Eskimo Joe that we sold in the last couple of years and now it's run by a, a chap called Elliot Smith who also plays drums. So Sweet. finally, when we were allowed to be in a room with a couple of people, I went in with him and said, you know, gave him all the program drums and we just recorded them and kind of redid them in that slightly 70s way again. That's cool. pretty cool. When you do your music, um, so my co-host, Mac Shane, he sees music. He's got that kind of, what is it, kinesiology? Ken, I can't yeah. remember what the word is. Bite out of something because that sounds wonderful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he sees his words coming sort of thing. Do you, what, what's your musical style? Do you like... Are you like just classically trained? Are you just whatever feels right? Like how do you put a song together? Definitely not classically trained. <laughs> uh, in fact, I was chatting to Josh Pike yesterday in a similar kind of podcast thing and we were both talking about imposter syndrome, about how oh, yeah. we like, always feel like we're the shittest, shittest musician in the room, yet we have these successful careers. Mm. Um, but when, when I when I come up with an initial like kind of little kernel of an idea, usually the melody and the lyrics kind of arrive at the same time. 
Um, and I'll just often I'll, these days I'll just use my iPhone and I'll just sing it in mm-hmm. sometimes in a really inappropriate place. Like as I'm driving the kids to school, yeah, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I, I build up those ideas and then when I get a moment, I'll sit down at the piano and start to flesh them out a little bit. And some, some, uh, some songs just come out like a Teflon poo. They're just like, yeah. they just come out fully formed, no pain whatsoever. And then some, some uh, ideas you have to labor over for a very long periods of time and until you get it right. And that's okay. It doesn't make either idea better or worse. It's just, that's what goes into making a record. That's I mean, sick. some people talk about this idea of like, you can't wait for lightning to strike. You've just got to be in the right place at the right time. Yep. I'm more of a kind of like fishing analogy guy, you know, like you just got to keep chucking the hook in the water and keep, you know, fishing for fish and eventually you'll pull a whopper out. That's right. That's what Tinder's for as well. (laughs) (laughs) I guess going back to something you mentioned before. um, Teflon poo. Teflon poo. I think that needs to be the name of your next single. (laughs) Teflon poo. So, and I don't know how much you want to go into this, the magic mushrooms and stuff. Obviously, yeah, this is amazing. If used for like the right reasons, there can be some pretty cool benefits and like some groundbreaking moments. Was it just a bit of a fun and you just, it's the wrong timing or was, did it help? Let's look, look, let's get this straight. I mean, I'm a musician, so I've definitely used recreational drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, I don't, I haven't, I hadn't done anything like, you know, acid or, or mushrooms for a very, very long time. Um, and Ben's a really interesting character because he's like, he likes to think of himself as the provocateur, you know, oh, yeah. um, once it, his point of, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, I find this fascinating about people in general, but his, you know, his point of creativity, his like, his, you know, what, what do you call it? The, the pivot point yep. Um, yep. is he, he, he likes this idea of tension where, where you provoke someone and then they react. And then that is where that your jump off point for creativity. Sounds like uh, our friend Wolfie. Uh, <laughs> well, and for anyone who ever, has ever taken uh, magic mushrooms before, it's a horrible idea to start to, uh, <laughs> to be all like, you know, throwing out points of tension. at someone. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, we start. We were doing this podcast, and I knew that he was going to try and fuck with me in some way because it. <laughs> and, and so, and he pulled out the magic mushrooms, and and uh, and I just was like, oh, you know, I'd done that stuff before. I know how it works, but I, I had to kind of concentrate. Luckily, uh, my wife, Studio Cat, didn't do any any of it, so she was there, kind of moderating, nice. making sure we didn't disappear uh, anywhere. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I made it through. It, I don't think it was a pleasant experience. Um, and then afterwards I left, I said goodbye to Ben in his Laurel Canyon house. And I just went back to our accommodation and curled into a fetal position. <laughs> just kind of, uh, yeah, but finally came back down to earth. So I just it think it's a, funny. It the world moment. ended the next day. So I'm like, yeah, did it really? Or was it just the mushrooms? We literally got on a plane and went home. I was like, oh yes. Uh, and the world has ended. <laughs> so uh, look, it's a, anytime you do those kinds of psychedelics, I think they need to be taken. Um, not, I don't know if seriously is the word, but they have to be respected. Yeah. They're going to take you on a, on some kind of psychic journey um, and you've just got to be prepared to go on that journey. So yeah. uh, I, came, I came out the other side. I've Again, I've, I had done it enough in the past that I knew what was I was in store for. But, uh, but it was a tricky scenario, like hosting a podcast, 
editing Pro Tools uh, and writing a song from scratch with like this guy who just wanted to fight me the whole time. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. <laughs> um, so you weren't getting... It's out there, by the way. It's Hat Jam, uh, funnily enough, the worst song out of the whole series, but uh, it's there. So, it's so there wasn't like any spike in creativity. It was just like, fuck, I need to get through this without the tension yeah. being too much. It was hanging on by your fingernails material, yeah. <laughs> Is that where black fingernails red one? <laughs> or should I just no, hang it on? That was a very different experience <laughs> and it involved me, but we can talk about that another time. <laughs> um, just the mentioning the drugs gave me a flashback to actually um, Kev's story about Marilyn Manson. I think he gave someone a bottle of piss or something like that. Yeah, pissed in a bottle and slashed uh, the pool. Yeah. Slash the pool that everyone was swimming in backstage yeah. a big day out. Have you had any starstruck experiences or any crazy stories from um, from your time over the years? Because that's always fun after hearing Ben Lee spiked you with shrooms. Uh, look, there's probably plenty of stories that I can't really tell uh, <laughs> out of respect for the musicians. <laughs> yeah. um, I to involve Lily Allen for some reason. Uh, but, um, but you know, you do see that stuff going on backstage all the time. I think people are a lot more like aware that everyone has phones these days. So yeah. gone are the days of like reckless abandon backstage at a big day out concert. You know, there's just too many cameras and too many people filming these days. So those kind of moments of craziness kind of happen in, you know, the, the wee hours of the morning, but the big day out, was such an amazing uh, experience and filled with so many starstruck moments. I mean, I'm terrible when I meet people who are really famous, even people who are just like my peers who I think are really talented. I, I just freeze up because I'm always in awe of, you know, mm. great musicians. Yeah. Um, but we did some really, really cool, interesting concerts over the years. And one of my favorite, favorite moments, the story that I can tell uh, was that we did this uh, thing called um, uh, Live Aid, no, no, Live Aid, sorry, it was um, uh, it was oh, an aid of some description. Anyway, it was at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Mm. Um, it was about sound relief. It was called there Sound Relief. Yeah, I, remember yeah, that. I do remember, yeah. Yeah, and so there's heaps of bands playing. There was Olivia Newton-John, you know, singing with Barry Gibb. You know, there was Coldplay got up with John Farnham and did You're the Voice. It was like, you know, all the bands were playing. Oh, um, house. I do remember that, yeah, I do remember this gig specifically, yeah. It was incredible and um, we had a, um, we just released uh, the song Foreign Land so we kind of got out and played that and and, and that was an amazing experience but one of my favourite moments was uh, I I needed to do a wee just before I was about to go on stage and I walked out and and our backstage room just happened to be right next door to Barry Gibbs um, (laughs) backstage room and I was walking to the toilets and there was this big like bouncer who was like "Mm -mm." (laughs) yeah, was Barry Gibb in in the toilets just going (laughs) 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 you can't tell about it it was just so good you can tell by the way he walks he needs to piss I I don't remember if I don't know if doing a warm up maybe that's how he (laughs) weaves always getting off with someone in the toilet (laughs) something specific from that uh, that concert that I do remember was uh, Chris Martin jumping into the crowd during Fix You and just, get, like, could not get out. But the crowd was just – it was an immense what, moment. Well, they were holding him down? No, or? he was trying to run through it. He got – everyone just wanted a piece of Chris. But do, do you remember that moment? Do you, were you there at that time or – yeah, yeah, I was there. Um, I, I don't remember him getting stuck in there for too long. It clearly didn't traumatise him because yeah. he was cruising around backstage afterwards being the most charming person on earth. Yeah, yeah. Right. I remember 
uh, passing Taylor Swift in the in the hallways oh. um, before she was, you know, the biggest star in the world. Mm. And I remember going, "Why is this random country American girl here?" This <laughs> she got up and she looked really like she had this kind of just like a t-shirt and like brown pants on, and she mm. was singing. And then the moment where the crowd got behind her, she got into this one moment, this song, and then just like ripped it off, and the whole outfit would just unvelcroed, and underneath she had this like glittery dress on, and everyone was just oh, like, "Wow." Yeah! Jesus. <laughs> like, go far, this kid. Yeah. yeah. That would have been that uh, oh. Romeo and Juliet or whatever. Oh, mate, I would have avoided her in case she wrote a song about you. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, funnily enough, like one of my big um, pandemic albums was Taylor Swift's Folklore. I'd never really gotten into Taylor, Taylor Swift. I always thought she was just a little bit too shiny and mainstream. Like I'm such an indie kid. Mm. Um, but I found myself just like doing the dishes in the morning, going back and re- like listening to it on repeat repeat over and over like again and then, like I, I had to admit I was obsessed with the album and then I bought like the limited edition vinyl and then I made the whole family sit down and watch the <laughs> long con sessions which is where they got together and finally performed the record together but uh, I was very surprised what a good record that was so you know Taylor yeah oh, so you're feeling 22 baby I guess um with like you know going into the solo stuff, uh, having had a 25-year sort of relationship with the band already, um, and then I know you did your solo stuff a few years ago as well, but it must feel like a fresh start, you know, and and almost like, uh, yeah, a different avenue going forward. Yeah, it it feels like, it feels a bit more dangerous and and like I've still got a lot more to prove, and especially like stepping into the space of like, being doing like what Kev from Tame and Parlor does, which is, you know, you're writing everything, you're producing everything. I mean, I didn't mix the record, but that's what Kev does as well. Cause he's just a super brain. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, going into that space feels exciting and dangerous in itself. It feels like, you know, you, I hate to say it, but you're always kind of looking for that recognition as well for people to be like, you did that. And that was amazing. You know, mm. that's one of the, you know, uh, you can psychoanalyze that as much as you like, but that's one of the reasons why we do what we do is because we're kind of trying to get people's attention all the time. I think Freud's um, pillow could figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, doing, going into that space of, yeah, becoming the producer, the writer and, you know, the musician in my own projects, um, that feels kind of exciting and, and, and like a challenge in itself. And, you know, you always go into these things, you know, I was talking again yesterday to Josh Park about this idea of, you know, you're always kind of terrified that you're going to get ripped apart by people, you know, that they'll, they'll tear shreds off you. And that's kind of exciting in itself. You know, you, it's, it's a, it's a huge risk every time you go and make music and, and jump into it. You are not only emotionally putting yourself out there, but you, you, yeah, you're literally putting yourself up there to be taken down massively and you need to, you know, thick enough skin, but you have to be quite brave. And and going into the solo thing deeper it feels like, yeah, I'm, ha- I'm, yeah, I'm having to take a deep breath, breath, and be as brave as I can be. Yeah, because music is so subjective, um, mm. and you're going to have people that hate it no matter what because it's just not their genre of music. Yeah. Um, I guess arming yourself with resilience is a big part of that. But um, it, it's good to hear that you're brave with that. But yeah, because go- it's something that you know, like with. Me with freestyle rap compared to something that I've written, it's like mm-hmm. the biggest get out of jail free card when you're freestyling because you're like, oh, I just made it up. But if you're presenting something where people go, you've spent time on this, <laughs> this is shit, like you've prepared this, you think it's good and it's trash, that's terrifying. Man, I reckon motherfucker must be the get out of jail free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so how do you take that? Uh, so obviously we've got the the new song. Is it last last of the wine? I think last is- of the wine is the last kind of. It was like a, almost like a soft single that I put out. It wasn't ever meant to be like one of the big songs off the record, but uh, the probably I guess the focus track once the album comes out um, next week. I don't know when this podcast goes live today. Um, today, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's happening right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so October 19th, which is Wednesday next week, the record comes out and the feature track is uh, a song called Defense, uh, which is a song that I wrote with John Butler. See. And it's uh, we we, wrote, we initially kind of sat down to write it for his record because we had actually um, written a song for his last record, Home, and I got together with him and his house, house down south and we were just hanging out and talking about where our heads were at with the whole pandemic thing and a lot of a lot of it was to do with decision making you know like you know having you know especially with like you know the vax and anti-vax movement and and to do with you know people having to deal with you know just before the pandemic we had the fucking we had fires and then floods mm. and you know it's, there's epic environmental decisions we're having to make you know and actual decisions mm. and so we were t- having that conversation and then that that spilled into the song we were writing um, which is uh, a song called The Fence. And it's just basically talking about the idea that there's no room to sit on the fence anymore. Mm. Um, and it's, and it, it's the type of song that if I had have sat down to write by myself, I would have never written that song, but it's fucking John Butler, man. He's like, he is the the king of the activists, you know, and he's, I have so much respect for him. He's an amazing musician as well as uh, he puts his money where his mouth is when it comes to his activism. So, you know, I wrote a full-fledged John Butler song with him, which was just <laughs> cool. hilarious and amazing. That's must, awesome. Must be incredible watching him because he's very talented. You see him on guitar. He's <laughs> he's ridiculous. Does it – I mean, he seems to me like the type of musician that it doesn't matter how talented you are, you're going to look at him and go, fuck, I, I could never do that. Yeah, he's a, he shreds, man, and, he, and he's got his own style of playing as well, which is really interesting, which is he's built up over a period of time, um, you know, just from – because his shows are like three hours plus, you know. Mm. In Eskimo Joe, we've got six albums, and, you know, we've got like a couple of hits off all of those records, and we're like, we have to play for over an hour. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, whereas, uh, you know, we – sorry, this is a complete side story, but me and John were um, attending a friend's wedding – um, and it was down in, I don't know if you've been to Boron Up Forest, you know, down uh, south. And it's this beautiful, um, you know, piece of like carry forest, you know, right there just near Margaret River. Anyway, the wedding was like literally out in the middle of this forest. And we were there. And then suddenly this person rocks up and goes, it's an emergency. The wedding singer has been lost and she's not going to make it in time to sing these guys down the aisle. Are there any musicians in the house? <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck, that's us. Did you it? get up? Oh, they definitely set you up. They never even booked a fucking wedding singer. <laughs> did, they, did you get up and go, emergency? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we looked at each other and we were like, well, what do we know? And we had like a two second kind of like, okay, let's work out what we know how to sing. And we worked out, we could both sing stand by me. And that was kind of, you know, appropriate enough for a wedding march. Nice. So we, we picked up a guitar that was there and we sung stand by me and our, our friend Lucy walked down the aisle. Um, and then like, you know, a month or so later, he was like, Oh, you should get up on stage and sing that song with us live. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. I was like, he's like, when, when do you want to come up? And I was like, oh, I don't know, like halfway through the show, I guess he's like, you realize that's two and a half hours into the show. <laughs> <laughs> half an hour into the show, he's like, "Yeah, that's like song two. I was like, "Cool, sounds good." <laughs> Sick. Awesome. So, have you, are you just keeping your name for your solo career? You weren't tempted to go Temperly Trap or <laughs> Tiny Temperly. Temper, temper. Um, I don't know. Uh, temper Trap. Yeah, I think that's been taken. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, look, I don't know. I think at this point in time, you know, I've been in bands and I've done side projects. I felt like, you know what, it's time just to be playing on Cav. So awesome. First Cav off the rank. Have you got um, uh, like details? Is it dropping on Spotify? Is it being like physical? Buy it on iTunes. What are the details? Because we've got uh, about five you know, minutes or two a, minutes. If you want to be a super good human, definitely buy it on, on iTunes. I'll get more money for that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, you can stream it on Spotify or wherever you stream your music. Um, uh, when I so that And that all hits everywhere on Wednesday next week. Yeah. Um, but if you want to be a legend, come along to the show in February and I'll have have final by that stage so um when i do the the um the album tour which is like yeah kind of mid-february i guess um we'll do a a a limited edition vinyl which we'll put out you know through your jb hi-fires and everywhere like that but also you'll be able to buy it at at, at the shows and i I listen to vinyl all the time so um just be rest assured uh it will sound amazing yeah perfect awesome um yeah that's it is there keep an eye on the date that you're in perth i guess get your people to talk to our people which is just me and branchy (laughs) 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 but um yeah we'll, we'll, we'll plug it on our socials for you as well Thank you, uh, you're legends, and thank you for doing what you're doing. Awesome. Without you guys, you know, we wouldn't be able to do what we do as well. Thanks, Hayes. Awesome, really appreciate it, mate. I drank the last of the wine Just to keep this feeling inside I've never been in love like this before I never want the night to ever end And I don't know why I close my eyes But every time I kiss you, I'm surprised I never thought that I would be the one to stay instead of trying to run You know I used to always jump the shadows But tonight